Good morning. Welcome to the Mr. Elvin Podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Lotcher. We're here to talk about Washington's 34-30 win at Atlanta. It's the Terry McLaurin to my Taylor Heineke desperation heave, Matt Turrell. Hey, Matt. Hey, Jamie. How are you? I'm great. I'm enjoying the Taylor Heineke experience. I've now I can remember his name reliably each and every time. And uh, the the end game scenarios with him uh, here in week four and and back a couple weeks ago with the Giants, they're awesome. It's just a lot of fun. It's fun. I mean that that's that's the right way to put it. It's like he's. Um, I was trying to think. Have has Washington ever had? Um, a quarterback who had this particular kind of vibe. Like I, they've had plenty of better quarterbacks, but like when we used to play against Brett Favre or Jeff Garcia or those kind of guys, Doug Flutie, those kind of guys where you're just like, well, anything could happen here. Who knows? I, I don't, I don't feel like we've ever rooted for someone like that before. I've got, I've got a name and I don't know if, if this is accurate or not. It's more like a, like a myth, like a, like a legend in my own childhood imagination. Babe Laufenberg. Do you remember him at all? I do. Not well. I remember the name. And was he also, did he play on like the uh, strike teams also? I'd have to Google this, but here's what my memory is. I almost don't even want to Google it. But my memory is that he was like the backup quarterback to like the Jay Schrader era Redskins. And I kind of Doug Williams. I think he also played for the Cowboys as a backup. So he was he like definitely right played the for middle. the Cowboys. Yeah, but there was like all these, and this is again before the internet, but I just remember, and I don't even know how these seeds were planted, that like he could throw the ball 40 yards behind his back and he did it in a game. <laughs> and like, like stuff, like I just remember yearning to see Babe Laufenberg in a game, never really happening. So perhaps, perhaps he had a little bit of that Heineke magic. So did you, did you expect me to go there with the answer? Uh, it's you know it, I didn't, but it's actually um, it's it strikes me as a good comparison from what I remember. I was thinking of um, God, who was the decrepit old guy who came in um, and won a game for the '91 team? Jeff uh, Hostetler. No, no, that's, no. Um, uh, Terry, Terry, Terry Rutledge. Jeff Rutledge. I think I think you're. I think Jeff you split Rutledge. the difference. I Jeff think you Rutledge. split the difference. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's yes. He came out of nowhere and had like a huge comeback, like forty-one thirty-eight type game against the Lions. Yeah, that's yes. the one. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I don't know. But yeah, either way, it's like it's been a pleasure to see. Now, the weird thing for me is that I had one of those days watching the game where if I was watching things went badly and I was at a wedding and getting ready for a wedding and stuff. So I missed large swaths of the game and every time I missed it, they did great. So we may be approaching that point where I superstitiously sort of like don't watch the game to see if it, if it helps, well, but well, it's been yeah. a couple of weeks. So the bills game, I watched the first half and that was, that was enough of that. And then I went and enjoyed my Sunday afternoon. Uh, what was that? That ended up being like a 25 point loss could have been 50. I feel like the bills could have just like gone on 500 yard drives if they wanted to, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. the only thing stopping them was the goal line. <laughs> that was the end of the drive. Yeah. That was uh, a really, uh, bleak, depressing game to watch. Uh, and in this game I had, uh, other shit going on, but I, I only saw the fourth quarter. I pretty much only saw the two touchdown drives that ended in like glorious Heineke touchdowns, one to McLaurin, one to McKissick, and then stuffed in between those Washington actually getting a much needed stop, a three and out stop. So I loved this game. That was great. This might as well have been like Super Bowl 22 as far as I'm concerned. Well, that certainly was the way to watch this game because we, we were settled in um, with, a friend, you know, and it was great because we were out of town, but it was a Washington area friend and we got to see him and we got to watch the game. And it was um, really a, a depressing, you know, visit there, just sort of watching them bumble <laughs> around and fall behind. So you watched it yeah. the right way. We did not. Well, I got to say, I mean, so just like status check on Heineke. Uh, I mean, his numbers are great. He's got an over 100 rating. He's on pace for over 4000 yards, over 30 touchdowns. And like the the stuff he pulls out of his ass, like the pass to McKissick, 
I mean, watching it live, especially, you know, when you just, when you don't know what's going to happen, it's like all the outcomes are on the table and he, you know, goes to his fifth read and throws the ball across the field, kind of lofts it like a soft toss across the field to McKissick. And you're just like, no, no, no. Yes. (laughs) Game winner. Incredible. Uh, Just the whole experience is awesome. I still don't believe in like, oh, well, he's, He's the franchise court. I don't know if there's actually people out there that are believing that he's the guy. I don't. Are there? Are there people that believe that? You're. You're in. You're I have in no market. idea. But I mean, what, does it? I, I. I've definitely heard people have this conversation, and I'm kind of unconvinced that it matters. Um, I. I really. I just I don't get the, this need to find a franchise quarterback like Tampa Bay did not find <laughs> I a do. franchise. I do. I, I, feel, I feel a need to have a franchise quarterback. It's been a long I, three decades. It's been a long three decades. But if Heineke caught fire, let's like and I'm not saying this uh-huh. is where they're at right now. They are yeah, very yeah, much yeah, a 500 yeah, team. No, right no. Now. But but, yeah, but yeah, if he caught yeah. fire and, and took them through into the NFC championship game or something or into the Super Bowl mm-hmm. or whatever you want to say, whatever your like right. golden outcome is. Right. But then crash back down to earth next year. Would you be like, well, that was a disappointing season in hindsight because he's <laughs> like uh, no. Tampa Bay fans last year are not like, yes, we're going to get, you know, 15 years out of this quarterback we signed in free agency. But like they won a Super Bowl the first year. Everything else is gravy. It doesn't matter that Tom Brady isn't their franchise quarterback. Well, I think I think the franchise quarterback thing is for me, it's less about. A, a duration of time and saying, oh, we're set up for the next five to 10 years or whatever it is. It's more about the caliber of the quarterback you have. And would you expect to be a contender because you have that player at that position? You know, there's a short list of franchise quarterbacks in the league where that's, that's the case. And I don't think anybody would ever say that Heineke is going to be one of them. Would you that's say... <laughs> Well, would you say, Jermaine, to the game this week, would you say that Matt Ryan is one of them? No, not at this point. And maybe, was maybe, he? maybe, maybe at some point, I mean, he did win MVP and he had like a sustained run of, you know, being like a borderline pro bowl type guy. So I don't know. He, I feel like he's like at first career, like a borderline franchise quarterback, but right now, no, you really wouldn't want to go forward with him. In fact, I, I, I have a close coworker, Falcons fan uh, who does not want to go forward with him. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, and he's never been interesting. And so, so to me, you know, you say the the definition of franchise quarterback is somebody who uh, you feel like puts you in the conversation and, and makes you viable sort of uh, to win. But to me also, a franchise quarterback is just somebody that I want to watch. And yeah, I, well, that's where Ryan falls down. And that's where Heineke to me is like, you know, whatever his ceiling is or whatever. I'd much rather watch him than if they had Alex Smith in and were, were, you know, winning games 11 to six or whatever, like this is much more entertaining. I mean, he's, he's really fun and he's pretty good. <laughs> he seems to be pretty good. So here's a question. And, and, that and I, he also strikes me though, as like also like very lucky and that who knows, who knows if he's lucky or good or what, but like this combination of fun, lucky and good, is like I, I'm really enjoying it, and I just feel like he's kind of like the perfect backup quarterback. Hundred percent. You know, when you've got an injury to your starter, it like great. We we actually we have a really great alternative here, and you know maybe you can't bank on it for for future years, but for right now, it's it's pretty awesome. Well, that brings me to the question that I, I like a conversation that I haven't heard on any of the sort of podcast or anything that I listened to, which is, do you remember in 1999 when Trent Green got injured in preseason, Kurt Warner took over for the Rams and, and came out of the gate scorching hot. He was amazing. Um, yeah. And, do, you know, the whole thing was, oh, he was, uh, he's bagging groceries. He was back up Green in Green League. Bay years ago, yeah. European League, like whatever. Um, was there a moment or, or do you remember what the moment was where the conversation turned and it became clear that like, oh, no, wait, this guy's just a quarterback. He's no longer just a story or a, a fluke, but he is a genuine, viable quarterback. Because I don't remember when that moment happened. Do you? If memory serves, it was like in that midseason zone, like, you know, maybe halfway through the season. I remember him. It wasn't just that he was good. It was that like he had the best numbers in the league and they w- were one of the best teams in the league. 
So after a couple months of that, it was sort of undeniable. It was undeniable, but it's the league is as a rule so bad at admitting they misjudged a player or that you know because because when... probably if, hold on just because I just looked it up. It probably took about half the season, but keep in mind. It wasn't just that, like he was good. Like, like Heineke has a hundred rating, and you know he's they're two and two. The Rams were thirteen and three that year, and Warner led the NFL in touchdowns, rating, completion percentage, like pretty much oh, everything. He was otherworldly. I mean, it's I yeah. and I, I remember it was so much fun watching them and. Uh, but that's what I'm saying. He was one, he was having one of the greatest quarterback seasons of all time to that point, and still was the guy who was bagging groceries. Like right. Heineke, so far is you know kind of fun, but it's it's going to take a long time before anybody's willing to admit um, if he's. I, I just don't know if we're ever going to know because I I think the reason personally is that nobody likes to admit what a thin line there is and how many dependencies there are between what makes a great player and what makes mm-hmm. an adequate player. You know, like mm-hmm. the one that everybody likes to come back to is Santana Moss's career versus Reggie Wayne's career. Um, you know, if what if, what if Santana had been in Indianapolis or whatever? Um, right. So so I think people just hate admitting it, but I don't know. It's it's I'm I'm on board. You know, if Fitzpatrick gets healthy and they continue to play roughly 500 ball when he gets back, I you can't put him back in, can you? I mean, not not right now. I mean, he's had three starts, and two of them. They have won by the skin of their teeth, largely because of him. Now, if there was a run of like a few games where it looked bad, <laughs> sure, sure, you could go to Fitz. But I mean, like, I want to talk about like where they are, almost a quarter of the way through the season, through four games. Like they're two and two, and I think that's about what you would expect that they would be after four games. Like if you looked at the schedule a month ago. Mm-hmm. You would be hopeful for three and one, but you'd probably be expecting two and two. Like if you had to place a bet. And which one of those other, which one of the two current losses would you have thought might be? The Chargers game was a coin flip going in. You know, I mean, that was like a one point spread home against a, a borderline playoff team. Like, I think that was sort of like the coin flip game. Yeah, and they I, lost. I mean, it. And then I think you could say like at Atlanta might have been a coin flip game, you know, a month ago, and they won it. So, you know. Dog sorry, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, we're we're gonna give that. Sorry, let's give it one second, then we go. But okay, I, so I, I was just saying the the Falcons game could have been a coin flip game as well. That was the last thing. I mean, it could have been. I just I think. I don't know, maybe I'm not remembering how we thought about the Chargers uh, at the start mm-hmm. of the season, but I, I feel like that one, I don't know. I, it, it, two and two is where we expe- I expected them to be, and yeah, they're lucky to be there, which is sort of unfortunate, but at the same time, they're there, and that's kind of all that matters. I mean, I'm so, I think they're very lucky to be at two and two. They could be 0 and 4, because the two wins were just like, you know, pretty, uh, pretty dramatic wins. So yeah. two and two, I love it. They're still in contention. Like they're still around. They're one game back in the East. They're one game back in the wild card. Like through the first, you know, four games, like they made it through despite having arguably the worst defense in the league. I mean, the defense is 30th in points allowed and they're last in third down conversion percentage. So to be two and two, despite the defense playing like that, I mean, on one hand, it, you, you kind of consider yourself lucky. On the other hand, you're worried about what's ahead. You are. I, I mean, to me, it's holding, having the, being at two and two, and I, at some point, it just, all that matters is that you've got those two wins. You know, it doesn't, I don't, I don't know how to put it. Like, you've got time to get your act together um, or not, but if they were 0-4 right now, we we wouldn't be on this podcast right now. We would we would we would be like punting this one back to <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, here's the thing, like the defense might be 30th in the league, but the offense is eleventh. Like I you know, you wouldn't expect either one of those, especially with Fitz, Fitzpatrick going down week one. I mean, last year. Washington was 25th in scoring, one of the worst offenses in the league. And their defense 
was fourth in points allowed, one of the best. So they've kind of flipped. And I don't know, like, what do you think is more likely to stay and, and what's more likely to change? Like, do you think it's more likely that the offense will regress or that the defense will improve? So I think that both will probably regress to the mean. It's just that for the defense, that would represent an improvement. But I think that yeah, yeah. I think that the defense is farther from the mean and has therefore more room to improve potentially more significantly. Whereas I think the offense is going to continue to be productive. It's just a question of those like fluke plays or lucky break plays uh, that make it into a coin flip. And, and if they go well, they wind up on the positive side of, of average. And if they go poorly, they wind up on the negative side of average. Um, mm-hmm. So if the defense does revert, as you would think would happen, as you would hope would happen, um, you know, and the offense can just sort of hold serve, basically, I mean, that leaves them in pretty good shape. Now, do you think do you think something needs to change for the defense? Do you think they need to you know, make a coaching change or a drastic scheme change or, or something? You know, I, I don't know. I, I really don't know. I mean, I, I'm not the, you know, keen-eyed observer who's reading everything and watching every play. And, you know, I, I, I really, it's not an informed opinion. All I know is this is basically the same group, right? The same staff, the same roster, except presumably improved, that had the, was the fourth best defense last year. So, like, how are they 30th? That's that's the thing. And it's not, it's like, it's seemingly like every level too. It's like, oh, this secondary is shit and they don't have one good linebacker and the defensive line has been a non-factor. You know, it's like, okay, so where, where are the bright spots? I, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't it, it's almost like a blind faith that like they can't be this bad because they were that good last year. So the dramatic changes since last year are you lose Kerrigan, who was your situational pass rusher, who was, according to, you know, people with informed opinions, you know, not doing that great. But he was he was doing what he needed to do with his opportunities. and He was getting those sacks. And you can say the Kerrigan wasn't that great, but the guys they have trying to fill that role right now are not getting those sacks and are therefore probably not as great. Um, so. uh that's that's one thing they supposedly should have improved by adding Jamin Davis, but I don't know. He seems fine, but slow to learn. I don't know. How do you feel about him at this point? It, it's a non-factor. I, mean, I've, I've, I feel like we've barely heard his name called through four games. Exactly. So at, at a minimum for people like you and me, he's certainly not doing anything so i guess that's worse but then the backfield should be better right i can't think of what would it be worse in the secondary mm-hmm. yeah so i, I don't know I, it's I, just I don't like know. kind of a head scratcher i mean i feel like there's just such a discrepancy like so on offense yeah there's an improvement but they improved from 25th to 11th i feel like the answer is probably somewhere in the middle there which is not that far off you know what i mean like i feel like they're gonna regress from like they're in like the bottom of the top third of the league i expect them to be kind of in the middle of the league i feel like this is a pretty middling offense they're going to put points on the board against atlanta they're going to struggle a bit against buffalo you know they seem pretty average there defense i mean they're 26 spots off from last year they've fallen all the way from fourth to 30th so if they could just like have that difference that's such a big improvement from where they are and it seems realistic I also feel like there's there's a point with the offense where the offense could be better even against Buffalo if, for example, they had the ball. That seems uh, like I don't oh, know yeah. a lot about football, but that seems <laughs> crucial. <laughs> That's true. Well, when Buffalo's going on a 500-yard drive, right. you don't get a lot of opportunity. <laughs> they go on a 46-play, nine-minute drive, and you're like, well, that's going to drive your offensive stats down as well. Although I guess the if you wanted to be negative about it, the counter-argument is you've just eliminated an opportunity for you know Heineke to make some sort of foolish interception or some i don't know um i mean i mean where they're at like just overall is like you know we look at atlanta as like oh this is this is a must win or like borderline must win we can get this one atlanta's looking at washington the same fucking way <laughs> like it's yes. the same like like it, you know washington is the uh is the w on your schedule uh you know so they're still very much like you know i don't i don't even see this week's power rankings but they're probably like 24th in the league or whatever Still, 
they're two and two. And yeah. the next four games heading into the bye, it's home Saints, home Chiefs, road Packers, road Broncos. If I were to guess how that's going to go, I would say they're probably going to pick up two wins. I, I would go like 1.5 wins is would be my like over under there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, you, you'd think like Saints – and Broncos are basically like coin flip games and you're probably going to lose chief Packers. So, yep. you know, we're hoping right. for two and two in that stretch, but look out for one and three. Well, Although look out feel, for one and four. <laughs> I feel like Washington has played inexplicably well against green Bay over the years. I'm not even, I'm not looking at any statistics. I have no evidence yeah. for this, but just in my head, I feel like that, that somehow never works out quite as badly as you think it's going to. Um, but yeah, I mean, no, it's, so it's, I, that's, that's sort of just like a state of state of the team. Like, I just feel like happy to be two and two through four. Hoping for two and two through the next four to go into that by more or less midseason at 500. Well, and the whole the whole thing about the way the schedule broke down when we talked about the schedule in advance was that it's backloaded with what I think five of the other five of the six NFC East games are in like the last six or seven weeks. They're either, of the the la- they're either the last five or the last six games of the year. Yeah. yeah. So, so, and those should be, um, you know, the, the everybody besides the, excuse me, besides the Cowboys should at least be, as you say, a coin flip and even the Cowboys, who knows what it'll be by then, you know, like that, sure. They could still be world beaters or there could be injuries or, you know, uh, Mike McCarthy and, and Jason, I'm sorry, not Jason Garrett. He's in New York, but you know, Mike McCarthy could be Mike McCarthying. like who knows. So see, I see, here's the thing though, that worries me about, like you like that really matters. I guess the five games against NFC East, it it's beneficial in that those are games you should compete if not in, if not win. But what worries me is that the division's gonna be out of hand at that point. So you're really talking about win stacking up wins for the wild card. I mean, Dallas looks like they're gonna be an eleven plus one. And we all know that Washington isn't capable of winning eleven games. So correct. Unfortunately, I feel like this is a wild card at best type of uh, situation, which also is is um, is worth noting when you say they can't win 11 games when you and I both did our, you know, whatever preview, whatever you want to call it before the season. We did both yeah. land them right in the vicinity of, you know, eight, nine wins kind of thing, yeah. which is. Yeah right in line with what they're doing so from one perspective oh it's super weird and taylor heineke they're scoring more than 30 points which they never do and you know defense is bad and all this is crazy but on the other hand they're two and two now we're looking at the next four games and thinking they'll probably wind up around four and four and so i mean they are right on pace for the eight and nine nine and eight kind of finish that we've been expecting since the preseason so maybe it's (laughs) just the way they're doing it it's the way they're doing it who would have expected that the so defense would be 30th and an offense led by taylor heineke would be 11th it's just uh, crazy a crazy first four games it's bizarre and when was the last time they broke 30 twice in i know four games they did it twice in three weeks like yeah i, I think they, i think you had to go back to i forget the stat it was like 2016 2017 for them to have more than one 30 point game in a full season yeah and when was the sad stat? I didn't see this stat, but I like it's got to be out there. When was the last kickoff return for a touchdown for Washington? Oh my gosh, Brian Mitchell. <laughs> yeah, seriously, <laughs> Mike Nelms. Uh, shout out DeAndre Carter. Yes. He so he returned the coming out of halftime, and then he also caught like a pretty crucial like twenty yard pass, and I believe in the fourth quarter. Uh, yeah. Was not expecting this to be the DeAndre Carter game, but Deami Brown and Cam Sims, I believe, had both gone out of the game with injury. Uh, so he was kind of forced into action above and beyond the special team stuff. Well, I mean, maybe give him more time because Deami Brown sure has not impressed thus far. Um, some real 50 50 vibes from him. Um, uh, Curtis Samuel is back. Curtis Samuel's got yeah. four catches, uh, 19 yards, humble stat. But I think like three of those four catches were first downs and just good to have him back. <laughs> he was like, yes, or good to have him here. You know, he was brought in as like the compliment to McLaurin and just hadn't been there yet. So good to see well, him out it, there. 
yeah, maybe it's not coincidence that the game he comes back, even though his stats weren't great, that McLaurin's stats were through the roof. I mean, McLaurin is a superstar. Yeah. I mean, one, 100%. I was looking at his, his, uh, like career stats and the progression. I mean, year one was awesome. It was almost a thousand yard season despite playing for Washington. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then last year, even more awesome, like almost a 1200 yard season, despite, you know, catching passes from Dwayne Haskins, et cetera. And this year he's on pace for like 1400 yards. Like his, his numbers just keep stacking up. And I don't know, man, like, I don't, I think people know his name because, you know, fantasy football. Um, but I don't think people outside of this market, like, would call him a superstar. On, in, You know what I mean? Like, I don't think that really happens. But you watch him, and it just gets more and more impressive it's, it, 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 from a pretty high level. Like, as a rookie, he seemed like a star. And it just grows. So there's a thing that has annoyed me in recent years. I mean, there's many things, as you know, uh, but one of them is the PFF rankings, right? And and it seems like every guy, you'll be told that somehow or another, PFF, Pro Football Focus, uh, ranks him super highly. Um, yeah. You know, and it'll be somebody where you, it's always done in a way of like, well, you think that Eric Flowers is terrible, but according to PFF, he's the second best guard yeah. in the league. Yet, you know, Jamin Davis is the defensive rookie yeah. of the year. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I feel like we as fans and maybe even the team to a certain extent has been hanging their hat on these kinds of things and on the, on those stats. Um, and I'm certainly not a guy who's like, oh, analytics are stupid and they're nerd things. <laughs> but like, I will say it's a it's a real pleasure to be watching players and be like, this guy looks good. He's fun to watch. And when I look at him, I see him play well and make plays. And I don't care if PFF were to tell me that like, well, Taylor Heineke actually made 12 bad decisions and is the 31st best quarterback in the league. Like, I don't care. I don't know if that's what they're saying. And it doesn't yeah. matter. It's just a real pleasure to finally between – Heineke and McLaurin and um, even like Gibson. DeAndre Carter, like that yeah. uh, Gibson's another good example, but DeAndre Carter on that kick return, like it didn't feel fluky. It didn't feel like yeah. eight things went wrong and there was a penalty that wasn't called or anything. Like he made a really good, you know, a couple really good moves and then he was fast and, and, and you're <laughs> like, that's, that's cool. Like that's good. Yeah. I, I, know, yeah. I can, I can say decisively that that, uh, those are good things to have on your team. So it's just a pleasure to have that going for us. Yeah. Well, and, I mean, the pieces too, like Gibson is kind of like a little bit of an afterthought, even though he's like a running back one borderline running back one, two in fantasy, you know, that touchdown he had against Buffalo was electric. It's like a 70 yard screen pass touchdown. He scored again in, in Atlanta. He's on pace for, you know, like 1400 total yards. Uh, yeah. You know, he's like the third or fourth most exciting player in the offense. That's weird. That is weird. And I feel like every time he touches the ball, he's like, I feel like it looks like he's going to do something. Then he, something happens. He he trips or he gets tackled by the last possible guy. I feel like he's always right on the cusp of uh -huh. breaking one. And so when you see him actually do it, like against Buffalo, it's really exciting. And then you just hope that he can do that more. But yes, again, we keep coming back to the same thing. This team is like fun to watch in the sense of they're exciting, but they're also fun to watch in the sense of like, they're pretty good on offense. And yeah, I mean, kinda... McKissick, we haven't even mentioned McKissick or, or Logan Thomas who, who got dinged up. And McKissick had, I think five catches in the fourth quarter, including the awesome touchdown at the end. I mean, that's a dude that had 80 catches last year and he's just, he's got a role like pretty well-defined, like third down back type of role. He's good at it. And it's just, it's just strange to have all this, you know, competence yeah. <laughs> lying around. Yeah, it's it's well, I mean, it's sort of why, unfortunately for him, it's sort of why Deami Brown stands out a little bit is that he's the guy where when they go to him, I'm like, what are you doing? Like, why was there, were none of the other six guys available? Yeah. Um, because well, well, literally on the touchdown, it was he was the fifth option. And yeah. you could see it. But did you see the slow-mo close up of Heineke's eyes on that play? Yes. Although, you know what, you know, what really occurred to me as I watched it, it's, it's exacerbated by the slow motion, but is how long he had to do that. If oh my God, it took forever, it took forever. <laughs> if, if we had been on defense, like if you just reverse it, if you were an Atlanta yeah. fan, yeah. I would be losing my mind watching that video. Like, yeah. what are you doing? And, and then how does the guy wind up that open? And then you have the missed tackle. Like, that was one of those plays where when you watch it and you think of it from the perspective of people rooting for the other team, 
God, that must have been infuriating. Just well, I, I, was, I had the th- thought occurred to me. It was a very long clip that you had a lot of time for thinking. Um, <laughs> that like if I like it took him too long to find McKissick. Like he had rolled left a little bit, and there was like four receivers. All all their routes were on the left side of the field, and he had McKissick as like the safety valve to the right. Why did it take so long? He was there the whole time. If I'm being if I'm being charitable, because I, I did think about this, because as you said, it's like it's like watching I don't, I don't know Titanic or something. You really have time to put together some thoughts. Um, I, I, what I think is that you are coached so hard and so emphatically never to roll left and throw across your body across the field. Yeah, like you, it was you, scary you just, watching it. it yeah, scary. it's terrifying. I was like, so, I was like, pick six, no, no pick six. Yeah, so I think I think that basically what you're watching is him going. Oh, screw it. All right, I guess I guess I'll just go ahead and do this stupid, stupid thing that I've been told not to do repeatedly. But as you well, said, pass, well, the pass to McLaurin, the two oh, yeah. touchdowns. I mean, he was getting sacked and threw that ball up like a like a weak punt, and it worked out beautifully. But that, I mean, that was I, I don't even know if you could call that a fifty fifty ball. No, you couldn't accept that you can because this is one of those things where it's like. It turns out that having a top tier wide receiver option turns those things into 50 50 balls and maybe even yeah. into better odds. Whereas if it was, I don't know who picked somebody, um, who, who else have we tried to Cam, Cam Sims? Cam Sims, yeah, <laughs> yeah. If it's Cam Sims back there, that probably doesn't happen. I mean, even if it's Pierre Garcon back there, it might not yeah. happen. And I liked well, Garcon, I thought he was a good player. I thought that was actually a great play by Heineke and a great example of like what makes him so fun and, and like kind of a gamer. Like it had a lot of moxie that play. <laughs> Cause it, yes. it was, it was very Shane Falco. It had like that thing where it looks like totally reckless, like just throwing it up into the end zone from like the 30 yard line while you're getting sacked on first but I think, But I think what he knew was that, there were only two people in the vicinity of where that ball was going. It was McLaurin in the corner. And I think he knew that that was not getting picked. It was either going to be incomplete or McLaurin's coming down with it. Well, I mean, I I actually think that's like a, a, he calculate crunched the odds in that moment and threw it up. Now, maybe that's idiotic, you know, but yeah, but that I, I feel like he's the type of player that makes that calculation on the fly and goes for it versus just taking the sack. I think you're right. I think that the thing you said earlier to me is even more important, though, which is that he's lucky. And I feel like Washington's had a real shortage of lucky players over the years, um, which, you know, it, it sounds sarcastic, but it might tie back into the fact that they do lean pretty heavily on, like, for a while it was PFF. Then it was that, what was that, athletic score or whatever that we kept hearing about this offseason? Like, I feel like they yeah. there's numbers they like to look at, which is good, and I generally support that line of thinking. But I think what you then do not account for is things that are not quantifiable, such as uh, luck and off-script decision-making. Um, and it's kind of nice having guys who are like that. I, the example I used to use um, was London Fletcher, who I thought was a great player, um, beyond technically sound. I would kill to have London Fletcher on this defense, uh, holding down the middle. But he always struck me as really unlucky. Like the ball just never bounced quite right for him. The fumbles were never quite in the right place. It was like <laughs> he never quite played for a good team. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. But but that's a chicken egg thing, you know. Like is it is it that he never played for a good team, or is that you need a certain element of luck to become a good mm-hmm. team? And I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, it's a, there's no way to quantify this, but it's just. I, I, I'm real excited to have a lucky player is what I'm saying. That's, that's really kind of nice. So I have one more thing. Uh, actually, you know what? Before I get to the one more thing, actually, I actually have several more things. <laughs> <laughs> Let right. me ask you a question, though. Do you know who Bobby McCain is? He's a defensive back, right? Oh, okay. So I thought you might not know who he is. But, yes, he is a safety on the Washington football team. Yes. No, no, I, I know that, that you. Just the fact that, like, I thought that you might not know who he is, I really, I think it helps give some context to this quote. Yes. Oh, was after he, the game? Was he the when one we, who berated the reporters? All I have is the all I have is the you know in writing quote from the Washington Post. I haven't right, seen the video. It. When we start balling and we start playing our asses off, 
I want y'all to write the same shit that y'all write. I, for, I, sorry, I'm confused by this quote, <laughs> first of all. Sure, let's walk like, through it. So when we start balling and playing our asses off, like, okay, yes, please, please do. <laughs> I think yes. everybody would like to see that. That including would be members, Including members of the media who generally, I think if you cover a team, you want that team to do well, it's good for everyone. Um, secondly, actually, that's a pretty loaded statement. I, you want me to stop there? <laughs> no, but I mean, I, I think it's, I think it, I think we, um, exemplify this because like last week we had trouble getting together to sync up to record this podcast and we were essentially like, oh, who cares? That was after yeah. one loss. It was, yeah. we were three games yeah. into the season and we were already checked out. So if you were getting paid by the clicks and you had to, t you had to talk about them and you had to record that yeah. podcast. Yes. The media wants the team to be good. Yeah. So, so yeah. The other thing is like when, when, okay, in this hypothetical scenario where they do start bawling and playing their asses off, wants the media to write the same shit. Does he mean he can wants them to continue being critical, or he wants them to like swing the pendulum to being you know to praising? I'm I'm actually confused. So what I think he's referring to. Uh, I have no evidence for this, but what I think he's referring to is people kept sort of speculating, uh, you know, there's got to be some kind of disconnect behind the scenes. There's something going on that we don't know about. I heard a lot of people say this, I, um, you know, on various podcasts and things. And uh, to be clear, nobody was even doing the unsourced report or the I have reason to believe. Everybody was just kind of saying like, they're totally out of sync. There's something really weird here. Maybe it's mm -hmm. could be something like this. So if that's what he's referring to, um, it makes some kind of sense. Because then it's, it, what you're saying is, I want you all to keep saying that, you know, we have no idea. Maybe there's some kind of disconnect behind the scenes, even when things are going well. Um, that at least makes some kind of sense, because nothing else does. You're correct. Okay, that's, that's much needed context. Because I'm just seeing, I'm, <laughs> this is funny. This quote from a player I barely heard of when the defense that was supposed to be elite and seemed to have a lot of self-belief going into the season is literally the worst defense in the league through the first month. Like just won 34 to 30 at Atlanta, which, you know, good thing they ran out of time because they would have scored on you again. I, you know, it's just, it's just a lot. It's a lot to see. There's a lot. There was, there was a lot to take yeah. in there. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. Yeah. So, anyway, Bobby McCain. Uh, I hope I hope I'm more familiar with him for you know his play on the field going forward. I have I have more questions. Uh, like when last yeah. we spoke on this topic, um, you were in favor of keeping Dustin Hopkins around and letting him kick through it. Where are you at now? Yeah, yeah. So he missed two extra points, and uh, from what I understand, because I saw neither one, uh, neither one is that they were just straight up misses. Um, not like bad snap, whatever. Yeah. And so yeah. that's, that's alarming. I'm still on team hop. Okay. Like, I want to ride it out. I mean, he was what, like, I think the only field goal he had missed was the, um, giants one that got negated by the offsides or whatever. Um, which by the way, that was a bad snap and hold. I was not on Hopkins. <laughs> okay <laughs> take your word for it and, and i think you've been perfect on extra points so we're really talking about through four games two missed extra points um, i think you still ride i think you still stick with your guy okay i mean and i guess he he was what, what are they doing uh, have they brought have they decided to bring in kickers for a little i, I don't know we'll find out. out that's it, always fun it's today. Tuesday, Tuesday is the day they that you hear about players being brought in for tryouts because it's the off day. So we'll see if in the rack because they're obviously going to bring in a raft of guys. They had a few big injuries. Uh, they're going to need, you know, some supported yeah. linebacker, maybe another tight end. There, there, there's some things they need. So if among those guys, there's two or three kickers. For a few weeks. Yeah. So you're saying you would rather actually, what are you saying? Are you saying you would rather have like one of these guys? <laughs> from the raft of kickers, which is a great visual, be the guy going forward? I don't know. Uh, this, is, this is an area where I fall back on the 
they know much more than we do thing. And when the tryout takes place, there will be names on there that might sound good to us, but they will see what happens. And I mean, I'm pretty confident that in much the same way, the media, it's better for the media when the team is winning. It's also better for the coaches and uh, front office when the team is winning. So whatever, if they think one of these guys looks better then but I, I do think they need to be at least looking at other kickers and exploring the possibility. Here, here's what, I mean, generally I, yeah, I said this before. I like the idea of like sticking with your kicker. Like Graham Gano used to be a shit show. Graham Gano is now like the best kicker in the NFL you know, 10 years after he left Washington. There's all sorts of things, you know, sorts of, you know, examples like that you could give. Remember Swisham? Yeah, <laughs> love that guy. Yeah, love that guy. He ended up being like the best kicker for Pittsburgh for a number of years. Anyway, I generally am in favor of sticking with the guy you got because he's probably about as good as the guy you're going to get at that position. However, if there's a bad vibe, you know, like if nobody likes the kicker, if people are starting to blame the kicker, if the kicker is like a problem, you know, on the on the roster, so to speak, then sure, bring in a new guy, see how that goes. But so if it's he, like, he, if he, but if he's like, you know, well liked, he's part of the team, just go with him because I really don't think performance wise, it's going to be very different. So here's where I worry that there's a bad vibe. Um, is that when I realized what the timing was on the McKissick play? Um, because where, while I didn't see it live, I did happen to see it on Twitter while it was still in replay review. So it was mm -hmm. like after it had happened, but before it had been finalized, um, I found myself thinking, oh my God, if he's out of bounds, they're going to wind up playing for a field goal. Yeah, and we need to touch I, down here. I yeah. do not like the, I, and it would have been, if he had gone out of bounds at the one, it would have been closer than an extra point. And I was like, mm -hmm. I don't know that you want that happening. Like I, so there is at least some degree of bad vibes going on in my mind. Yeah. It, it, as if, as a fan. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, All right. But I, you have to think they were thinking the same thing, right? Yeah. I mean, it's unfortunate to have your kicker miss two extra points. And, and also keep in mind, they were down too at the end of the game before the touchdown. So that's tough. Uh, one other thing, <laughs> I mean, this story is like unfolding, but the DEA raiding, <laughs> raiding the Washington football team facility in Ashburn to go through the head athletic trainer stuff. And then also his home in Loudoun County yesterday. We don't know why. And this is, the head athletic trainer for the team who's been with Ron Rivera for like 20 years. What is going on? No idea. I happened to be at the Nats game on Friday, which as has been pointed out repeatedly was uh, somewhat inexplicably DEA night at Nats park where they yeah, Nark, honored Nark at, the, Nark at the park. the park. Exactly. Wow. You, I wish you guys had had that shirt ready to go. I would have worn that one to the game in a heartbeat. Um, People people really liked my 1931 shirt. Yeah, speaking of which, that got some that got some compliments at the stadium. Great shirt. It's a good shirt. Yep. Anyway, um, I have no idea. I have no idea what to make of this. I have heard people say like, uh, you know, oh, well, this scandal is just as bad as the other scandal. Like, uh, no, I'm sorry. Like, uh, he could have been, I don't know, whatever, shipping opio opiates or opioids or whatever across state lines and across county lines or country lines and whatever and it is still not inherently worse than 40 odd women reporting uh, a toxic culture um it's just not i mean so i don't know let's see what comes out of it and then we'll have some idea but i i don't have a lot on this one do you <laughs> no but i like what a team <laughs> <laughs> What what a joy it is to root for this team that when the DEA like ransacks the headquarters immediately the response is like well this isn't as bad as that other thing where forty women were abused and mistreated. No well, problem. I just keep hearing people say that it's going to be worse and like I don't know maybe it will be and and maybe this team is bad enough that it really genuinely will be. I do like that the team has been like uh, very clear in saying that uh, Vermillion has been put on administrative leave uh, for an investigation that has nothing to do with the club. Like, okay, sure. Um, I mean, it has to do with a person employed by the club, uh, and it involves searching his workspace at the club's headquarters. Uh, but sure, it has nothing to do with the club. That's fine. 
Um, how did, how did you make it out of there alive? You worked there for years. I, was, I, was, I, I, I don't know. I did not make it out of there and feeling like a healthy, sane person. I'll say that much. I was, so I was much... just thinking about the, I'm sorry. I was just thinking about the Scott McLuhan example as well. Like they hired a guy to basically be the GM with like a known drinking problem. And then how, how, what was the end game there? They like fired him, but like, like accusing him of drinking on the job. And I, it was just a sorted, it was, it was <laughs> sorted. another example. Yeah. And, and as with everything with this team, as you bring it up, I'm like, did that ever resolve? Like, weren't there like lawsuits and stuff? Did, how did that ever finish up? It's like everything with this team seems like an abject tire fire until the next tire fire starts. And then like, you just have no idea if that other fire is still smoldering, if it's like, well, where, what its status is. Did anybody ever bother to put it out? Um, yeah, not great. What's funny, what's funny is like, because of my job, we're surveilling like all 32 teams and looking at all the, you know, like activity around those teams and what fans are in, most engaged about. And like shit like this doesn't happen with other teams. Like may, maybe on occasion something, but like not repeatedly. This is a special group. Well, here's here's a fun thought experiment. So as a result of this, what if it galvanizes uh the team against law enforcement and the Washington football team becomes the first uh, pro sports team to really support the defund the police movement. Um, that would be fun and different, right? I, I, is it, you know what, this, this, it might actually be a brilliant scheme to get their defensive coordinator to quit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guarantee you, he thinks it's a false flag operation trying to force him out just because he probably thinks that about everything. McDonald's is out of, you know, Big Macs for a day. And he's like, oh, it's a conspiracy. The government doesn't want me having a Big Mac. Um, <laughs> yeah, man, it's a fun crew. It's a fun, like yeah. we keep saying, it's a fun group to root for. Yeah. Uh, all right. Anything else? Uh, nothing huge for me. Anything exciting from you? TV, podcasts, movies? Uh, uh, did we talk about, I finished Mayor of Easttown. Did we, did we talk about that one? We did not. You were heading into Mayor of Easttown last time we spoke, and I was concerned that it would be dreary slog. Uh, was it a dreary slog? It was awesome. I got really into it. I wish that I wasn't binging it. I wish I was watching it as it was airing um, each week so that I could like listen about it, read about it, dive into different theories. It was really good. Um, if anybody's on the fence, and has also seen True Detective season one and enjoyed it. Watch Mare of Easttown. I will say, as far as um, binging and listening about things, a one one note from me is that one of my favorite sort of pop culture podcasters uh, and writers has moved over to The Ringer um, as of yesterday. So um, she, Joanna Robinson, so she'll be. Uh, someone you'll be hearing especially if you continue with marvel stuff or whatever or any kind of nerd uh -huh. culture stuff and i think she's uh -huh. she's good i think it was a good hire by the ringer i was pleased nice. to see her move over so well, um, well anybody who gets hired by the ringer like now exists for me exactly <laughs> like, that's what i think I, I feel like i listen to like half their podcast and that's well, saying she, something because they have a million yeah well she used to be buried over at a little publication called vanity fair so it's mm -hmm. you know a real step up for her i'm sure to uh be with a prestigious outlet like uh bill simmons's uh grantland replacement um yeah although is it i mean i would be interested to hear some thoughts on that like not necessarily now but where does the ringer fall into like the sort of constellation of media or, I, I mean they have to be taken pretty seriously at this point right they took down jeopardy they took down Jeopardy. Yeah, I, I don't know. And are they, are they just a podcast network? Like I, I hardly ever go to the site despite following most of the readers and having like a, a history of you know reading Grantland, reading Bill Simmons. Well, to be fair, what sites do do you go to? Many websites at all anymore? <sighs> Washington Post. Like Washington Post is probably like the one site that I or app, whatever that I load, you know, that I go to that isn't just like fi me finding my way there through Twitter or what have you. Well, maybe more sites need to really emphasize the fact that democracy dies in darkness and you would go 
You would go to them also. <laughs> well, there were two public based on my lifelong reading habits. There were two publications that stood a chance: the Washington Post and Sports Illustrated. Only one of them remains. <laughs> True. Although there is, I I did um, stumble across. Is it, is it is it Breer who's doing MMQB at SI now? Yeah, not to be right. not to be confused with Peter King, who does some you know rebranded version of it over at PFT Football, Football Morning in America. Which yeah. I do still sometimes read. I read it occasionally, although I read it and then I think about how much more fun it would be to read uh, Kissing Susie Culber, uh, Take It Apart, instead of me actually reading it myself. But um, I, I was surprised to find that the version of MMQB out there right now is perfectly respectable. It's not nearly the level of garbage that most of the stuff that appears under SI.com URLs is. So there's that. But I don't know. I, well, I don't, I've never I've never read the non Peter King MMQB because I'm like, well, if I'm going to read MMQB, I'll just read Peter King. Oh, and you're correct. I mean, it's who. Yeah, I think it's Breer, uh, whatever. Whoever it is now is I mean, it, it is a Peter King cover band through and through. It's it's like <laughs> really it's all it was almost weird reading it because you're like, this is the you know, it opens with like uh, I'm on the phone with whoever it was Tom Brady as he departs the stadium and he's got some thoughts, you know, like this kind of thing. And you're like, this is the, it's the same. It's it's unchanged from what it was 20 years ago. Um, is there a hike? Are there haikus? I didn't make it far enough to find out. It's okay. also still prohibitively long, which is well. In the in the forty uh, fourth minute, there is a haiku. <laughs> great. Well, that's that's something to look forward to. Um, you know what? Haikus never really liked them. <laughs> wow, you really that, saved that, this hot take for the end of uh, end of the podcast. I hope people get to hear this. I don't even know like the format or the structure of a haiku. Does like haikus never really liked them count as a haiku? <laughs> Uh, you, you're close. It's so it's five seven five slab five syllables seven syllables five syllables. Technically, to be a haiku, it has to have a reference to nature. Otherwise, it's a senryu. But like that's a real pedantic distinction that uh, only a real jackass would make. So let's pretend I didn't make it. Um, Matt, how but, the fuck did you know that? That you just broke that out. I don't know. I've never even heard of that other type of haiku that you just mentioned. Like a haiku <laughs> that doesn't reference nature is a senryu. Yeah, I believe so. But but I've nobody. Nobody has heard of it. This is the problem. Yeah, sorry. It's uh, maybe I'm wrong. Though. That would be even worse. Um, maybe maybe I'm an idiot. And all of our five. Like, <laughs> right. Everybody else is like, "It's a center you, you idiot." <laughs> yeah. That's possible. That it's it all seems anything seems possible at this point. Taylor Heineke is a superstar. <laughs> all right. I don't think it's going to get better than that. We we good to go? We're good, man. A pleasure talking to you. Let's try to do it again next week. All right. See ya. Bye.